Welcome to Crafting a Revolution. I'm your new co-host, Katie Thompson. I'm delighted to be joining the team where we share interviews every Wednesday and Friday with female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all over the world. I'm also the creator of the Women of Woodworking Project. You can follow me on Instagram at Women of Woodworking and check out more of my work there. Today, my first guest ever for the podcast is none other than the one, the only Aspen Golan. You may know her on Instagram at Aspen underscore Golan. That's G-O-L-A-N-N. Aspen is an incredibly talented maker, instructor. She is the recipient of the 2020 John D. Minnick Foundation Fellowship. She's also the founder and creator of the Chairmakers Toolbox Equity Project. And if it sounds like she does a lot, it's because she does a lot. She's truly a game changer in our field. And there's so much to cover whenever we sit down and talk. Um, so let's go ahead and get to it. First, I want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you are not a supporter on Patreon, hop over there. You can contribute a little, as little as a dollar a month to help keep the podcast and all these wonderful interviews going. But thank you so much to Lee at Lee Renyon, Annette at 513 Woodworks, Kevin at Lefty's Woodshop, Christy at Twisted Vine, Jeremy at Jeremy Speck, Sammy at Go Samily, Rachel at Moody Makes, Bonnie at Toolmom Bonnie and ToolmomStore.com, Laura at Oakley Soap Company, Brandy at Studio Off, Lee at The Rainbow Carver, Ellen at Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan at Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so much for your support on Patreon. Again, if you're not a Patreon, go over there, sign up, and support the podcast. We appreciate it so much. Aspen, thank you so much for joining us. My first guest on Crafting a Revolution. Got to start with a bang. Thank you again for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to hang out and talk with you. You know that. <laughs> and uh, thanks for being like such a good volunteer and, and like guinea pig and let me put you on the spot and um, so I try to figure out this whole kind of podcasting situation I was actually kind of nervous tonight I'm like wait I've done this before you know <laughs> it's just on a new <laughs> platform so it's always good to, to try new stuff so yeah um, but anyways why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself if for some reason someone listening or watching to this doesn't know who you are already, you legend. Oh, pish tosh. I hope that you guys have better <laughs> things to do than know who I am. I'm, my name's Aspen. I'm a furniture maker, um, woodworker, artist, educator. Um, my practice kind of rides a lot of lines, which is something I actually really like about it. Um, yeah, and I live with my partner in North Carolina, um, soon to be moving to the Northeast actually, um, but he's a glass blower. Um, and we are just weirdos trying to set up studios and try to find a way to sort of, you know, make the work that's important to us and like make a community that's, you know, gonna work. Um, 
going forward in a sustainable way. And I think that that's something that we're all pretty much trying to do. So I'll just start with that as sort of like a, a baseline, um, but I can go deeper into my practice. I sort of imagine that's gonna come though. <laughs> oh, of, of course. And you know, what Katie Freeman has been trying to do with the podcast, what I've been doing with the work that I do and like the work that you're doing is just kind of like one big happy family, like all holding hands, like we all see the need for this work to be done. And it's just really incredible um, all the ways that we're finding, you know, ways to kind of sneak in there and make an impact. You know, we were talking before we hit record or we're officially recording you know, about, you know, all the different things that we do and how it's, how do we relate to this? And I think one thing that's really wonderful, you know, is that we are the common threads in, in this work and we're kind of seeing the story unfold. So, um, congratulations on the upcoming move. That's really exciting. I, I hadn't heard about that. And um, also, I think I've checked out your partner's work before. Holy cow. Um, what a talented couple you both are. So that's just. Yeah, he's a freak. <laughs> I think that, like, I don't know. You said this, this thing, right? Like that the common thread is that we're all just trying to figure out how to live a life in this field. And I think one of the weirdest things about this year is like, I consider these sort of these moments when I when I have the privilege of getting to talk to someone like you in one of these sort of more formalized settings where I realize like how quickly my career and my sense of self in this field is evolving. You know, it's like I've actually been exploring a lot of different ways to sort of move through furniture making. And like, you know, at first it was just making furniture. Then it was running a shop at Penland School of Craft. Um, now I'm doing a lot of teaching. Um, I'm doing a lot of writing actually, and, um, and a lot of like community organizing. And I sort of still see myself very much as like trying out all these different hats and trying to figure out like what weird constellation of things like creates both like an enjoyable and a sustainable and like a meaningful life for myself. You know, I mean, there's just so many, so many boxes to check and so many bottom lines to meet. And so many like weird little demons to figure out along the way, you know, it's like, it's so, it is so interesting. And I, I know this is something you know about me, Katie, but I didn't get started woodworking until I was 30. And by get started woodworking, I literally mean like enroll in school. So, you know, I've been doing it for a little shy of uh, like about four and a half years now, um, including school and man, it has been a wild ride. And I just feel like I have so much admiration for folks who have figured out how to manage the massive number of choices that we have to make as independent makers and the incredible restrictions that exist on our time and on our spaces. Like there's just things that make this life so free and also so scary. And and so like, I just, every time I meet somebody now um, who has been in the field for more than, more time than I have all, I just have only questions. Like all I wanna know is just like, how do you do it? What's your weird combination of things? Like what quilt do you sleep under? Like, how do you make this work? And um, yeah, it's just each and every person who's managed to stay in this for, for any amount of time is just an absolute inspiration to me. And um, I just wanna, pick their brains and their hearts and figure out how they've managed it. I don't, do you feel that way? Absolutely. Like in preparing for tonight, for tonight, you know, uh, when we're recording this, I was like, you know, Asp Aspen's a newcomer, but I was like, I can't, 
you know, say that, you know, I, I feel like your soul has been making for millennia. So like, even, <laughs> you know, like even just saying, yeah. and you say, you know, just shy of like five years, like it's so hard to believe, um, especially with, with your technique and just, oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, it, it's been interesting. Like lately as people have asked me questions, you know, kind of being on the other side of things. Sometimes I'm like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I know I've been doing this for, you know, 10 years, 10, 11 yeah. years now, but I, I'm still, you know, I'm still kind of winging it, but um, yeah. it's, it's interesting. You, you talked about your, uh, how you evolve, you know, as an artist, as a maker throughout this. And I, in thinking back, I think to probably one of our first conversations on one of my Wednesday lives last year. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just carry it with me. And I probably have like quoted you in almost every interview since then, just about how there, you know, there is space for everyone here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, really looking back at that time, like I was really trying to find a new space for myself in this. Mm -hmm. And it's been really wonderful to you know, be a part of a community that allows me that space and yeah. celebrates that. Yeah. And so I really, in times that I'm like, uh, what, what am I, you know, what, what am I doing? What, where am I going with this? You know, what, what's kind of the end game here? You know, I, I like to, to think back to that and just think it's, a, you know, it's okay. Like, there are people that have been in this for 30 years, you know, 30 plus years and still feel like they're on that journey. So, well, ideally, I think it's always going to be like that. You know, I mean, I think that I, I ran into that conversation with a friend of mine when I was talking about imposter syndrome, which is also something that we all experience. Um, and I was like, when does that go away? And he's been in this field for 40 years. And he was like, oh, honey, never, ever. And then he reminded me also like, what kind of psycho would I be to not have imposter syndrome? You know, it's like, I don't, like that. I mean, you, you always want to sort of feel like um, you want to have humility. Like you want to, you want that to be part of the experience. That being said, like, yeah, you got to learn how to own it, but just realizing that, you know, any of our careers, any, like any, any of this, this sort of like lifelong project of being happy, right. Is um, it's, it's, so highly contextual, which is why I'm always asking people like, what do you do? How do you do it? How's that connected to this other thing? Probably get way too intimate, way too fast with people asking these questions because, you know, the way that life in you know, a creative field works when you're basically a small business, you're also a brand, you're also a maker, you're also a shop manager. If you own your own machines, you're a shop manager. If you, I mean, you're all of these different things at once and trying to figure out how to always be moving towards joy, whatever that means for you, is it's a, you're basically trying to hit a moving target from another moving target. And for me, it's like anytime I find something that makes me either enough money that I can then make choices, because I've started thinking about money as choices. I'm like, money is choice. So if I have money, I have choice. And I have to think about that. Otherwise, I just give all my money away to these equity classes I've been teaching, <laughs> which is really fun, but also like, I have to start being more realistic about that at some point, but like, or, and more importantly, the thing that actually drives my decision-making 99% of the time is stuff that makes me 
happy or makes me feel like I've found something that feels a little bit more sustainable in craft. And by that, I mean, I'm really coming from the perspective of someone who's a minority in my field. So being a woman in woodworking on the internet, on my Instagram feed, I don't feel like a minority because I follow people who are in my community. I see people who reflect my values. I see people who are excited about what I'm excited about. But in my shop every day, I am a minority. And in my field, I am a minority. And I am constantly fighting for my own, my own sense of authority, my own sense of validity, my own sense of community and space holding, and even just the opportunity not to explain myself, but not have to explain myself. And so just finding those spaces is so rare that like, Anytime I hit that, I stick with it, you know, and sometimes those things are exactly where you think they'll be. Like when I travel to a workshop of our own, which is a, a, a community workshop for women and non-binary people. And I serve on their board now because I'm obsessed. Um, that place I went there and I was like, yeah, this is going to feel like home. And then it did. But then there are other places that you don't expect to, you know, like I started, this is why I'm just, I'm willing to try all these different things and why I'm evolving so quickly right now, I think in my practice is like, you know, I was like, sure, I'll try to write an article for fine woodworking. And I definitely didn't walk into that situation expecting to feel like I was at home. I didn't expect to feel anything bad. I just didn't expect to feel like embraced. And oh my gosh, like it was one of the most loving, like successful, exciting, pleasant, like photo shoots of my entire life. You know, it was just like so supportive and so wonderful. And now I'm like, I can't wait to spend more time with them. And I can't wait to like work with them again. And so, you know, I mean, just like being willing to expose yourself to like a potentially difficult situation in order to potentially actually find surprise, comfort and love is really important. And so like, for me, it's like, and I think a lot of people who are minorities in their field or this field will, will relate to this is like, you have to, you have to grab onto as many of those like comforting structured experiences as you can and like build a community online in life like by traveling whatever it's going to be um that keeps you going because the number one cause of burnout that i've seen in you know my sub community of woodworking aka women and queer people in woodworking is like not that it's hard to make a living but that it's hard to like feel at home and you can only spend so long feeling unseen or isolated or confused or um yeah or undervalued and so those are things that I think like anyone who's a minority in the field they're doing the project of being a maker they're also doing the project of finding the community that sees and supports them so that's I think a big part of why I'm like why I'm willing to do all these different things I need to find that you know it's like it's an exciting but it's also like kind of a perilous task <laughs> <laughs> If that isn't, you know, and the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. I mean, like I was telling my husband the other night, I was like, I, I think I found like my biggest flaw. And it's like, I, I just like to volunteer too much. Like, I just like to give, I want to be on, you know, every board, every committee, do you know, organize this. And, and you're right. Like eventually it gets to a point where it's like, okay, you know, we got to keep the lights on as well, you know, <laughs> um, Right. But it also like, sustainability. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, getting to a point I've, you know, shifted again, going back to, um, you know, having that community and finding that community has been 
so transformative for me. And um, just recently joining the board at the Furniture Society and doing our monthly affinity groups there, you know, that was something that people had said to me for a long time, like, is there a monthly get together, like meet up something, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, no, and, you know, meeting up with Monica and Pam and just creating that space. It's been incredible what's come up, come out of that. And I think also it's helped me evolve as well, you know, as far as like the content that, that I want to create. And again, like having the community that supports that, but also encourages evolving your, evol you know, yeah. grow your growth. And yeah. um, that's something that I, I would say I extremely admire with you because having gone from, you know, a student to, you know, a, a MINIC recipient and, you know, starting these initiatives and doing all this work, now an instructor, you know, while still maintaining your own sense of practice as, as a maker and artisan um, in a very short amount of time, um, it's, it's incredible. And I, I hope that people look back and like, for us, now we make these decisions. We're like, oh yeah, we'll do that. And I hope 30, 40, 50 years, however long people will look back and be like, wow, they really did put themselves out there in a way that has made X, Y, and Z possible. And uh, I commend you for it. Hey, Pond Squad. I would like to give a big shout out and thanks to this week's sponsor, Rockport Works. They offer safety footwear that suits people's occupation and lifestyle by incorporating performance, safety, and style into every shoe and boot. Each shoe features a slip-resistant outsole and a toe cap varying between steel, alloy, and composite. Other features such as electrical hazard and shock protection are also available depending on your safety needs. So Rockport delivers extraordinary technology-based comfort using the latest advances in construction and design to create both modern and classic shoe styles. So whatever the outfit, they've got you covered. Their goal is to support your style, to take you from work to leisure and everything in between. Try what Rockport works for yourself and change the world without changing your shoes. Now, they offered to send me some boots and I said, hey, look here, I got lots of boots. I got plenty of boots. I really, really, really need a shoe that's going to work for me out in the workshop because right now, if I don't feel like wearing my work boots, I'm wearing my tennis shoes. And not only is it hard on the tennis shoes, those aren't really the best to wear protection and safety wise out in the shop. So they sent me a pair of their True Stride uh, work shoes, which are these slip-on shoes that have a zipper on them and they consist of moisture wicking micro mesh liner and a leather upper. And they've got this nice little cushion in the heel that really is helpful for my lower back personally. Um, they have these shoes available in sizes from 6 to 12 in both M and W widths. I went with W because I've got a white foot. And I'm just going to let you know. So I went ahead and ordered my standard like eight wides and they do run a little bit big on me. But I love them even more for that, honestly, because that makes them easier to slip on and off. So I just slip right in, head on out to the garage, do some work, come in, take them off. Don't track sawdust all over the house. So it is fantastic. 
Um, the shoe, besides being super cool and comfy, also meets all ASTM safety standards and requirements. All right, so if you want to try out a pair of the True, Stride, True Stride shoes or any of their other work boots and shoes, um, head on over to Rockport Works and you can use discount code FREEMAN25. That's FREEMAN, F-R-E-E-M-A-N, 25 to get 25% off of your purchase at checkout. So take advantage of this super sweet deal for listeners of the pod and head on over and check out Rockport Works. All right, let's head back into the episode. You know, it's funny, like, it does feel like all this is so two things. One, like, it does feel like all this stuff has happened really fast. And I reflect on that sometimes, like I mentioned it to a very good friend of mine named Sarah Rose, um, who's a really incredible paper maker, conceptual sculptor, um, who is now actually at undergrad or at graduate school at Yale. Um, she was the uh, paper coordinator at Penland when I was the wood coordinator. But anyway, I was saying to her, I'm like, I don't know how this happened to me. And she was like, Aspen, I met you seven years ago and this was like three years ago that we had this conversation she's like I met you like seven years ago and you were so serious about what you were doing she's like yeah it wasn't wood she's like but you were drawing every day you were like weaving you were like and so it was really nice to sort of hear and she we we weren't even friends at that point she just you know we we had met at Penland for for a little bit and it was really cool to have her sort of remind me that you know, it's not like my making life began when I started woodworking. And so I do see, I do see the, the arc since woodworking. And it has been, it's basically been like, I got on a roller coaster and that thing just started going. And I've just like, I'm doing everything I can to like breathe deeply and not freak out and like throw up in my own face. But I think that lie, yeah, and just be like, like every time I get stressed, I'm like, no, this is fun. Remember, this is fun. You're having fun. <laughs> But also remembering like there is so, so many of the things that we do outside of our direct craft, like inform the craft itself. And you and I were just talking about how now, you know, my experience in my field is now it's writing, it's teaching, it's all these other things. And I was a high school teacher for five years before I started woodworking. Like I've still, I was in the classroom for longer than I've, you know, been behind a bench. And I think that it's important to sort of remember like we're building and evolving and growing and gaining skills constantly. And, and I think that like, there were, you know, 15 years that I labored in my free time on the nights and in, on the weekends, you know, just like making work and crafting and, you know, either trashing it or giving it away as gifts if there was anyone left who wanted something. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, like I was the same person then that I am now. And so I think the, the interesting thing is looking at like how a little bit of education and an alignment with my own joys and ambitions created the life I have now. So like finally just choosing to believe that what if this crazy thing I've always wanted to do was possible? Like what if I invested in my own strongest qualities? Like what if I invested in myself? Like what would happen, you know? And I think that I was willing and able to do that because I loved teaching. Like I was not an unhappy teacher. I was an absolutely thrilled teacher. And I was 29 and I was like five years into it. And I was like, you know what? There's, I'm still young and dumb enough. I can quit. 
Like I can quit and go try that crazy thing I always wanted to do. And then worst case scenario, like I go and become, I become a teacher again, have an amazing, lovely life and also know how to woodwork. Like I don't see a downside. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, I think that that, I don't know. I, I think that like my willingness or my, my, my success at this point for me, like when I look at it, I know myself as an unsuccessful person. I know myself as a successful person and I know that I'm the same person in both scenarios. So the only way that I can explain it is to say that like what has worked for me is going out on a limb and then working my ass off once I'm on that limb and following my own skills and talents and instead like investing in the things I'm good at like sure I work at the stuff I'm bad at that is true but at the same time it's like I don't force myself to do things that I'm bad at like when everyone else I went to North Bennett Street School everyone else I graduated with started a small business and I was like I have anxiety I don't like making things in like large production runs I don't even have designs that I'm interested in doing in large production runs. I can't do a built-in kitchen. I'm like, I'm not going to thrive in that scenario. <laughs> like, and so instead of being, instead of seeing that as something I needed to do, instead I was like, I'm going to invest in the things that bring me joy and that I'm good at. And so I went and I took a job at Penland School and I learned a lot about a lot of different mediums. I had a chance to play in that incredible shop. I met lovely people and from there, I really, I gained the confidence that I needed to just keep messing around. And, you know, I'm still at the beginning of this career, so I've yet to see how it's going to pay off. But so far, the, the most amazing thing is like, to me, is, is just that it keeps working. And the only thing I can chalk that up to is like a willingness to continue to pursue things that I love while also sort of working too hard. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to like 100% agree with everything you just said, just based on my own experience, you know, and you bring up a great point that I think so many of us, you know, we're, we're trained not to listen to ourselves. We're trained not to listen to that little part of us. It's like, Hey, I really like this. This is special. And yeah. Um, it's incredible what happens when you do allow yourself to follow that joy and follow that little spark inside that like says, Hey, this is freaking awesome. Like I want to do this all day long. And, um, we, we definitely live in a society that, you know, tells us we're not worth that. We're not per worth pursuing that. And, um, you know, the risk in doing that, you know, yes, there's a lot of very practical reasons to want to, you know, have a nine to five and a pension or whatever, you know, whatever it is sure. that, that drives you. But um, absolutely for, for anyone that I, I think that is creative or just likes to make things in general, um, it's, it, yeah, it's amazing what happens when you follow that spark. And also, like you said, when you respect your own limitations and boundaries and, and follow what you're good at. I, you know, had this conversation with somebody else the other day, you know, especially for women and minorities in this field, you know, um, especially, you know, women-owned businesses, it's, you know, you're constantly having to kind of like prove yourself in different situations that you're not 
it almost becomes second nature. Like you don't, you almost don't realize it, but it's like that constant, like, yes, I deserve to be here. I deserve to be here. And then, you know, where's that threshold of, okay, you've done that enough times. You built a strong enough community. Your customer base knows you like, is there ever a, a moment that we get to kind of like stop and just be ourselves or are we constantly trying to, to prove? You know, for me, I think that like, I sometimes think about my own growth, especially as we mentioned my partner, Chris, uh, we are very different people. He grows very slowly and intentionally and in a very like strong and stable way. And I feel like my growth is much more like a weird little, um, like an ivy plant. And so for me, I see like, I make these these leaps, you know, it's almost like I, I go from a place of stability and I just can't help it. It's like, it's in my nature to just reach for another thing. Like I just have to know how to make a Windsor chair. I have to start an equity project. I must begin teaching again. And so for me, it's like, it's, I used to think, yeah, I'm gonna climb to a place where I feel safe and secure. And I think I'm starting to come to this realization about myself that instead it's like my security is intermittent. Like I will jump. And the jump itself is like part instinct and part necessity for me. And then I land at a place and I, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to teach a class. Okay. Uh, here I go. And then I love it. And it's like secure and it's beautiful and it works. And then I'm there for only a couple seconds because then I have another stupid idea and I have to jump and do that. And so I think some of it too, is just like making peace with the fact that like, this is the way that I move through the world, at least at this point. And so trying to find like safety and stability in the patterns of my own life and be like, okay, maybe I actually, if I zoom out, maybe this is kind of stable, despite the fact that I've been in like three different states in the last week and a half, which is true. You know, maybe too. it it's is cool. stable. Like <laughs> the stability has changed, you know, and maybe that's something, you know? And so I think, um, yeah, finding a way to, finding a way to feel stable and secure regardless. Also, I made like a stupid, I was making a cutting tendons on the table saw today and just like didn't press the wood hard enough against the fence and like cut a tendon that was like straight up a trapezoid. And I was looking at it being like, wow, that is really bad. That's like, that's basic stuff. And I was like, that's really bad. And then I thought about it and, and I, I was, I just realized, I was like, you know, I think that I don't have, I work or I work very hard to not bring ego into my practice because the ego, all it does is it like this whole thing about needing to belong, right? Or needing to feel like I deserve to be there. Instead, I'm just like, I just am grateful to be here. I don't care if I deserve it or not. I'm not even engaging in that fight. Like I refuse to even have that conversation. Like I'm grateful that I'm here and I'm gonna like tr try my super best and like, yep, I screwed up that tenant. And it's like to fight with that reality or to try to deny that reality is simply to push myself further away from being a person who cuts it well, you know? So I'm like, okay, if my ultimate goal is to like thrive and cut great tenons, then like one of the uncomfortable steps along the way is to be like, hey, this one's really bad. <laughs> so for what it's worth, you know, like, I think because I, Katie, because I relate to you so much that I, I feel like I am constantly having to justify my presence in the shop, that at this point I'm like, you know what? What if I didn't play that game? What if this week that wasn't the game I played? What if the game I played was that 
Um, am I able to enjoy this moment here now and be grateful that I'm even in a shop doing this work at all? You know, it's like maybe is that a more sustainable approach? But I do think that at the at the baseline, this these are these are the fights that we as women have in woodworking. Absolutely. I mean, whew, yeah. Uh, and people, yeah, I think I it's, real, but yeah. no, <laughs> I, I think people also see, you know, of course the day and age we live in, like we have more visibility than ever, but we also have a tendency to put the highlight reel out there. And yeah, I, I, I mean, the thing that we can't forget is that we're all very human. And so, so is the person that we're viewing on the screen. And so I love you sharing that about the tenant because I mean, I feel like there's something that I screw up. I screw up at least once a day, you know, it's just all day, every day, all day <laughs> every day I make mistakes. Yeah. That's the move. And you know what? I, even as I'm hearing myself explain that I've like found this new sort of gateway to feeling comfortable, which is this gratefulness as opposed to like trying to sort of prove my value. I'm like, even that sort of that level of overthinking, that is something that me and so many of the women that I share space with in the shop experience. You know, it's like, I can't just cut a bad tenon. I have to like have this deep processing experience of like, whether that means, oh no, I'm going to choose gratefulness instead. It's like, gee, you know, just like, <laughs> can I just be bad at woodworking today? And like, not have that problem. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I also am new to this craft. So like, I have to be comfortable being bad at it. And I also am so desirous of growth within this craft that I have to be comfortable being bad at it, you know, unless I wanted to learn a couple of things and then just like slay at those things. Then I think that being bad at it, I hope that I'm lucky enough that being bad at it is like part of my daily experience. Cause that means that I'm like evolving my practice and in meaningful ways. That's, I mean, just like so, so well put, you know, like allowing ourselves to have bad days and not be, you know, have it on and, and perfect all the time. That is absolutely a pressure that I think we all feel as, as women in the craft and, um, and, and just not having all the answers, not having every, you know, everything figured out all the time, um, I, I tell people all the time, I told you whenever I logged on to here today is like, if it looks like I have it all together, like I don't, you know, <laughs> like, oh, no, you know, no, no, no. we're const no. constantly trying to, you know, um, figure out how we fit into this life and where this fits into us as, as people. And it's just really beautiful um, to have you be so transparent about this and, and share about this. Cause I think so many people can relate to this just as, makers just people wanting to express themselves you know in in that way like yeah. I, I I think you're right I think it's important to always keep that level of humility and always um be striving but then also you know like you said say some days you're just going to be bad at cutting tenons some days you're just gonna have have a rough day and it's okay to have days that you feel super confident and on it and like, I've got this, I'm nailing this, like, woo. And then the next day might not, Yeah. you know, um, you it, know it's really hard not to internalize, like devalue yeah. yourself on those bad days, yeah. you know? 
One thing I used to say to my art students, I was an art teacher in high school, like high school art teacher, but I think one of the things I used to say to my students all the time that resonates in my own head is, um, you know, they'd be half done with the drawing and it would be terrible, you know, because it's half done. And the conversation we would always have is like, one of the most important skills that you can learn as an artist and that all successful artists have is the ability to work on something ugly. Like you have to be able to work on something while it's ugly. And if you're not able to work on something while it's ugly, then the chances that you are gonna go from the beginning to the end of a project and never have it be ugly at some point in the middle are very low. <laughs> and so, so if you are able to continue to exert like energy and effort on something that is not, you know, that is not looking good, that is not feeding you, that is not like directly a success, then you are going to have more successes ultimately. And so it was like, just I literally cut the bad tenon today and I heard my own goofy voice talking to a 16 year old and just, you know, but I'm the 16 year old this time saying like, Aspen, the ability to make something good is like contingent upon the ability to work on something bad. And I was like, great, now I'm working on something bad. Here we go. You know, and it's like, just shim the tenant. It's no big deal. You know, move on with your life. And then also when I think about like how I define like a good or bad woodworker, like for me, it doesn't come down to these rote skills. It's not about cutting a good tenon. Not to say I don't respect a good tenon and a good tenon cutter, because I do. You know, I see a good tenon and I, yeah, deep, you know, oh, deep yeah, that's, that's a good tenon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, that is a hot joint, you know, but like that is not what, I consider is not what I most value when I look at another woodworker. And so to make sure that I am not arbitrarily like assigning those values to myself and judging myself that way is also critical. And so, yeah, joinery is cool, but also like joinery is not for me what woodworking is about. So, you know, that being said, like throwing all those things in there, you know, I mean, the ability to cut a good or bad tenon you know, it's cute, it's helpful, and it's something that anyone can learn and be taught. But there are things that make you a good and bad woodworker that like, you're gonna have to figure out on your own. And that stuff has to do with like personal style. It has to do with development of community. It has to do with like a sense of, you know, where you're going and what you want and like not getting stuck in all of these weird little potholes that exist in the experience of being an independent maker. And when I see someone navigating those with grace, I have even more like an even deeper sense of awe and appreciation than I do for a good tight joint, if I'm being honest. Very interesting. Uh, I'd love that. Cause like my next question was gonna be like, all right, so what do you value in a woodworker? And so you, you read my mind, you're like, I'm gonna get ahead of this here. Um, no, that's, that's very, very well put. And especially in the type of work that we do, you know, I, I know a lot of artists feel that if there is not some sort of um, social element to their practice, some way of giving back, some way of kind of keeping the community moving forward that, you know, it, can you really call, call yourself an artist? Can, are you just a business owner, you know, where, and um, in woodworking, it's, it's one of those wonderful crafts that people can approach it from so many different directions, but you're right. I love the term potholes because people do find, you know, and sometimes it's wonderful. They find, you know, their uh, niche in marketry and people get super sucked in on that. And, you know, like, and that's what they want to yeah. grow their practice around. And, 
and their business around and and that's wonderful but um i also really enjoyed your um you know what's good what's bad you know and i i i agree i think it's not coming down to a certain skill level i think it's almost kind of your approach to the to the craft and your your practice yourself um very deep thoughts yeah. here aspen yeah it's not just I mean, a tenant okay <laughs> guys be careful if katie interviews you because it's gonna get real <laughs> hey makers today's episode is sponsored in part by toolmomstore.com at toolmomstore.com you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders all sizes they've got mugs they've got shirts all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag woodworker on it. And I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, and also great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout if you enter the code maker mom you will get a 20 percent discount off any of the merchandise that you buy so that's just toolmomstore.com all right let's head back into the action it's the information that that you're bringing here the the topics that you're willing to discuss is just it's absolutely what I want to hear, but it's also what I think really everybody needs to hear as well. And so I thank you for, you know, giving me the opportunity to go this deep with you. Well, I don't think there's any reason in being out there if you're not going to let it all hang out. I mean, the reality is like as a female woodworker in the field, like I was like I started at North Bennett Street School, incredible place. My I was the only woman in my like cohort. And to be completely honest, like I immediately, like I had to learn to love woodworking independently of having a community or feeling accepted. Like that was not part of the game for me, at least initially, that was something that I built over time. And so for me at this point, it's like, I want to find other people who have my experience and feel the same way that I do. That's what I want to find. That's what I need to find in order to keep doing what I'm doing. And so for me, like, there is no downside to sharing this stuff, you know? I mean, the, the point is to find your team, you know? It's not to be loved by everybody and it's, it's not to be understood by everybody. And I think that like, if there's something that I can be really grateful of beyond the skills that I learned at that school, you know, it is the fact that I, I learned that I love woodworking and that, that, that I love woodworking even if I'm kind of lonely while I'm doing it, you know? <laughs> But the reality is that like putting this stuff out there, I've, I've never, I have had the privilege of rarely feeling lonely because there, there are so many people who feel this way. And, you know, I mean, even at North Bennett Street School, just like talking a little bit about like my arc of like connecting with America. So my work is like traditional, typically like pretty traditional American period furniture. That's what I was trained in. That's all like my methodology, my like technical practice, the tools that I use are all in alignment with that field and that sort of like approach to wood. That being said, like, as I was spending time at North Bennett Street School learning about this stuff, I started really considering like, what I would like to call the moral complexity of like replicating these styles that adorned the halls of power in early America. 
and sort of ask that question, like, can the beauty of these pieces of furniture be disassociated from like the racism and the classism and the misogyny of that time? And my answer is essentially like, no, it can't be. And so I started like exploring imagery and like ways of incorporating imagery into furniture using all these traditional methods, including like marquetry and glass enameling, um, you know, metalwork, whatever, like really anything that I could find to incorporate imagery in traditional ways, but the imagery itself was very non-traditional. So everything that I started playing with was like this way of basically like fully participating in North Bennett Street School in their curriculum in terms of making this traditional furniture, participating in wood in like the most traditional sense of the word. That being said, like also talking very directly about my experience as a woman, incorporating my past as a, you know, person, speaking of Sarah Rose, like someone who drew for so long and drawing and painting were a huge part of my practice and just recognizing that like my identity and my experience outside of woodworking were relevant to the work that I was doing in the field at that time. So, you know, that led me to start seeing all these relationships between decorative traditions and gender and furniture and domestic spaces. And, you know, just recognizing that like the traditional female gender roles are also the roles of furniture and houses, which is crazy to me. Like furniture performs invisible labor. It welcomes us. It like visually establishes social hierarchy. It hosts, it bears weight, it's seen and not heard. Like furniture is a traditional female role in a house. And, you know, in addition to that, like furniture is a body, like it has legs and it has arms, it has a back, it has clocks have faces, like casework has carcasses, you know I mean? This stuff just like immediately I was like, oh my God, there is space for me in furniture because I am furniture, you know I mean? In, the, in this very like weird conceptual way. And so like the work that I made at North Bennett and the work I've made since is like a lot about that experience. And, you know, the I've made a lot of brushes and those are much more playful and goofy. And that's also a different form of like self-acceptance of being like, I don't need to prove anything. I'm going to make this like weird worm shaped thing that also is a brush maybe, you know? Um, and I think that that's, these are just like levels of sort of engaging with my own experience in the field. And then most recently the Chairmaker's Toolbox, which I know you and I have talked about a lot is this equity initiative that I launched after falling deeply in love with Windsor chairs and green woodworking and chair making. Um, the goal of which is to make that field of experience more accessible to women, non-binary people, people who identify as BIPOC, generally historically excluded folks from the field of woodworking. And it's just been like such a trip to try to like find myself and find my community and then realize that I had established myself enough in this field that now it was my job to actively create community and space for other people around me and you know instead of me and that has been like probably like the trippiest and most experience like important experience so far is just watching like putting my energy behind other people through the chairmaker's toolbox and just watching them thrive and just getting text photos of like a, a woman in a woodworking class and just knowing that she's having an amazing time and just being like yep that is my furniture work is her in another state doing this and learning this like Anyway, that's my super long rant, but like that's basically like the arc of sort of how I got from, because I know that was on the list of questions we should talk about, was like my arc from how I got to, you know, from traditional furniture making to sort of where I am now, which is like a, a really like lovely mix of nonsense. 
Absolutely. And I, I just saved so much money on therapy. Cause I think you just like figured out my professional life, like <laughs> for the past couple of years as well. Oh my God, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love that we have found community by creating community, like for others. And like, yes, we were searching space for ourselves, but it was also looking to create space that people didn't feel that loneliness, you know, like we are together in our loneliness. I know exactly what you're talking about. And um, that was part of the reason why I started the Women of Woodworking Project. I was like, mm -hmm. I am the only chick in here. Like, you know, um, yeah. the only other female woodworkers I knew were Leslie Webb and Sarah Marriage. And, you know. Um, but you create Women yeah. of Woodworking, then all of a sudden look at all these women in woodworking, you know, and it's like, I think that the, the trippiest thing for me lately has been like, making space for people whose identities I don't share. So like I, ident I'm, I identify as white, I'm a white woman. Um, I'm a cis white woman. I do identify as queer, but I'm trying to make space in these classes and in these educational opportunities and also in these opportunities to make tools for the Chairmakers Toolbox for folks who identify as non-cis, not heteronormative and BIPOC. And those are not identities that I share. And so trying to find a way to create like authentic, caring, like responsible space for people who I, who I like my identity alienates has been such an important growth space for me. I don't know if you've experienced that too, you know, but it is just, it's like, it is absolutely the call of responsibility for all of us right now. And I think that like extending myself in this way is terrifying and critical and, um, you know, basically like creating space for a community that is so excluded that they're, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to find anyone sometimes who, who identifies as like a successful, sustainable person who's been in the craft for a long time, who identifies as BIPOC, trans, or like non-binary. I'm not saying they're not out there. I know a few of them, they're wonderful, but the fact that there are so few, that is our call to action. Absolutely. And the dynamic of even just like the tear makers toolbox and the style, you know, again, that symbolism of power and bringing people in that traditionally were not allowed to sit in those places of power and to really like yeah. change that dynamic and exchange that. Um, and you've been such a great model for, for me as well. And, and people that I've spoken with in uh, you mentioned just creating that welcoming space. And, and I believe you and I have talked about it before how, you know, it can be, be really harsh sometimes putting yourself out there. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw up. Um, but we shouldn't let the fear of, you know, possible failure keep us from doing this work because it's so incredibly important. And like you said, like the numbers, the numbers don't lie, you know, and this is our opportunity. It's here at our feet. You know, it, it to me, it's one of those situations where it, it, it would be more irresponsible to let it pass by than to be like, you know, take it head on. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel the same way. It's it's yeah. it's it's much needed. And just knowing what woodworking has brought to me in in my loneliness, knowing what it's brought to people that I love and care about, you know. Um, I would mm -hmm. love to see that transform even more lives and, um, you know, who knows what talent and what ideas and what 
other instructors and, and folks that are out there that just because, you know, they're not sure if they're welcome into a space, like missing out on so much talent and opportunity, even just for them. Um, totally. so, so thank you for doing the work that you do and making that possible. I'm also selfish in that it's like, it's, it's creating a community that's more hospitable to people like myself as well. But I also think that like, you know, we are also missing out, like woodworking is missing out on what all of these folks can do and say. I mean, like woodworking is cool and fun, but it's also relatively boring most of the time. Like it doesn't evolve very quickly. And like furniture practice, I can understand why it's a slow moving thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's, we've talked about this before. Like it's a hard thing to take risks with because it's like takes, you know, eight weeks to realize a piece of furniture so much of the time. So it's really hard to take like a risk on something that's going to take eight weeks to execute. Um, that being said, like, I think the main reason why it's not evolving fast is because there's just such a small number of voices who are allowed in. And so it's like, I mean, I mourn every day when I go into the shop and when I look at books on woodworking and when I look at Instagram and try to see what's on there, like I mourn every day, like the voices that I am not hearing and the people whose ideas I am never going to see because they have been, they've been drowned out or they've never been given a platform. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people say to me as a woman in woodworking, they're like, oh, well, like women, you know, you must have experienced so much bigotry. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes I do experience bigotry. But a lot of the time what I experience is honestly just people like assuming I'm not interested. Like, I think that's why it took me till I was 30 to get interested in woodworking, just because, you know, you're surrounded by people who assume you're not interested. So you assume you're not interested. And I just was interested in other stuff. You know, so just the number of people who could be participating in this field and like sharing their creativity and their joy and their intensity and their excitement with us and they're not, you know, it's like, we're all suffering because of that. So, I mean, a big part of like the chair makers toolbox is like, I want Windsor chair technology. I want green chair technology to be in the hands of people who have not yet been able to wield that knowledge because holy shit, I'm ready to see some new designs in, in that material. And I'm ready to see what, what work can come from just like a bigger, more diverse group of people, you know, speaking that language, that chair language. So for me, it's like, you just got to get that information out there um, so that people can start playing with it, right? Because like, it's not about, it's just about building a platform, right? And there's no better platform than woodworking skills because they're just skills, you know, it's like you teach someone how to use this stuff and then they can do it to do whatever they want, you know? So it's like, every time I teach somebody, it's like, I hope very much that it is just the beginning of a long, weird journey that I get to watch from a distance, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's just, that's a long way of saying that, way of saying that like we all benefit immensely from the diversification of this field um, and, you know, I will end again by saying that like there, you have to lead with the belief that there is enough food on the table for everybody. And that believing that there is abundance is one of the first things that creates it. And that gatekeeping and controlling knowledge and like keeping people out is one of the things that keeps you scared and keeps you small. And that's like, that's something that I fight in myself whenever I see it pop up. Um, and just understanding that like, 
sharing knowledge that I have is the fastest way to grow the knowledge that I have and to like get a return on the knowledge that I have. So for what that is worth, like whoever is listening to this, if anyone has made it this far, <laughs> couldn't be more thrilled to see what you have to contribute to this field and to like see what you have to show and just like even just to see you enjoying the process of like slowly removing a little piece of wood from a bigger piece of wood like I don't care if you ever make a finished piece of furniture I just want to know that like that way of spending time that way of manipulating materials like open to more people absolutely gosh what a note to end on because I mean and think about the folks that uh find woodworking but uh discover another line of you know creative practice that speaks to them that they were willing to try because they tried woodworking and they really liked it so they tried ceramics and they loved it you know um even people just finding ways to relate to math and to science um it, it's so much more than woodworking it's it's so much more than that and um, a way to spend a day yeah. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being interviewed my first week at north bennett and they were like they were just interviewing all the new students. They're like, why did you enroll in this program? And I was like, it's not about for me, like my goal wasn't to have a furniture practice. As we discussed, my goal was to just like see what happened with furniture, just to like try it a little bit. And I was like, you know, my goal is to just like have a good Tuesday. Like I just wanna have like a good, I want my average boring day to be better, to be good. And I think that like, that is something that woodworking can provide, you know, that craft can provide. It's like this, this opportunity to express yourself to like, you know, physically manifest ideas. And, um, you know, even if it doesn't become like a money-making venture, it's still, it's a great Tuesday. Absolutely. And those things are worth investing in, in life, whether it's for fun or for business. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Aspen, Thank you so much. I feel like we need to have five more hours. I, I just want to talk to you about chairs for an hour. Like how, how are we supposed oh, yeah, we to move on with our lives chairs. if we can't talk about all these things? <laughs> I know. Well, this is also what it means to be a woman in woodworking. It's like, you don't actually talk about woodworking that much. You talk about navigating woodworking. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, no, yeah. you're right. And I, I mean, it's community and getting through it and finding yeah. space for yourself. I feel like that's what it's mostly, it's kind of like, like yeah, this dude, most have of the you time. ever talked about woodworking? I don't think we ever, literally ever have. And <laughs> we listen, have. Katie and I have been in many meetings together. We've been on committees together. We have like had multiple interviews in this style together and yeah, we're two women who do woodworking and I, yeah, we have never talked about grain direction. We've never talked about tools. We've never talked about technique. We've never talked about any of that stuff because I think for us, like this is woodworking, you know? Absolutely. And, and <laughs> you know, and, and it is, it is. It's such a heavy yeah. part of our practice. And like, yes, this has become like what I do as a, a writer and a storyteller and and as an artist I mean this comes through you know this has taught me to explore and play even just for fun in, in my own ways you know that I wasn't expecting but 
you're very, very right. Like this is woodworking for us. This is our, our experiences. This is our, our day to day. And I mean, you put it so great, like just trying to have a good Tuesday, like, yeah, you know, and I think that's why we gravitate to to like, I'm sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. Please tell me. (laughs) I'm trying to have a good Tuesday, but I feel like we're also trying to build a better world. It's like you're simultaneously like trying to live in a moment of just enjoying your freaking life. And then also trying to be like, eat a sandwich, you know, (laughs) how do you, you know, it's a lot. And I do remember sitting at North Bennett and like what I was having a very like weird day because someone had microaggressed on me and like I was just processing that and like this guy next to me was just cutting dovetails and I was like damn it he can just cut dovetails today and I have to like have all these thoughts I have to like process this stuff and then I was like you know what I'd rather be me this is fine you know it's like this is a this is a complicated existence but it's like pretty rich and interesting so you know and this also like isn't the end of this isn't the end of my practice, like being a student in this space. Like I'm going, I didn't know it at the time, but I'm going to find a Katie Thompson to talk to. I'm going to find like women to share practice with. I'm going to find queer people to share practice with. Like it's going to be okay. Um, Not that I've always felt that confident, but I led with it, put it that way, that hope. Absolutely. Finding, going back to like, finding stability in the instability like for me the only constant in life is change and like the more I settle into knowing that because I'm someone that I mean I used to hate change and I moved around a lot as a kid so that made for pretty interesting childhood but you know now as an adult it's like you have to embrace it in a way and, and, and just really like riding a wave like it's going to come whether you're you're ready or not, you know, are you riding with it? Are you evolving or are you getting taken under? And um, yeah, so that's how I, yeah. <sighs> anyway. Yeah, I read on a tea bag recently, you know, those like little sayings on a tea bag. You know, you're really lost when you read a saying on a tea bag and you're like, yes, that's it. <laughs> I prefer like, Dove chocolate wrappers. Thank you very much. <laughs> also work like under a Snapple top, you know, take your pick. Fortune cookie. <laughs> I read a tea bag like little thing today or yesterday that said like the through line of your life is you. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? That's actually really going to help get me through the next couple months or really the next year. Like I'm booked out for the next, um, 15 months, like I don't have any, um, like I'm, I'm booked for 15 months. And so I was sort of looking at that being like, okay, here's my crazy road that I need to walk. And I was like, okay, like it, everything changes every week and a half, every two months, every whatever. And I was like, but so what is the common thread? And I was like, oh, myself and my curiosities and my interests and my, my joys. And like, those are the things. And as long as I can focus on those as, and consider those as sort of active, stable parts of my life, then like, actually I live a very stable life. (laughs) Like as long as that's what counts, not like what state I'm in or like who I'm near or like whether, like what, basically what state my underwear is in, you know, it's like, I don't even know, you know, but um, as long as I'm pursuing those things and like living a life that's led by those well then yes it's quite stable (laughs) thank you teabag yeah 
Well, and like, I, I do love that, but like, and the common thread is you and like how cool it is to be you and to be a part of this, like ever evolving process and the work that you're doing. And like, I'm sure I know at times I'm like, oh yeah, it's great to be, you know, we all have that feeling, you know, where the grass yeah. is always greener, but like, you are so freaking cool. Like, I'm so excited to see where your thread takes you, you know, like that's what makes it so awesome. You know, you sit there and you reflect and you're like, why, why me? Why all this? And you're right. It is, you are the common thread and it's getting over that imposter syndrome and saying like, no, I deserve this. I deserve this yep. thread. I, I deserve bright green neon thread. And yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't quite get there. So instead I'm like, I can't quite get to, I deserve it. So instead I'm just like, it's happening and I'm choosing to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening it's happening reminds me of that scene in the office michael scott it's happening <laughs> yeah, yeah that's how i feel about life like 95 percent of the time as well so well awesome well aspen how can people get in touch with you um you're on instagram um sorry my internet connection just kind of weirded out but anyways how can people get in touch with you and see more of your work and get involved and everything you've got going on. Oh my God, totally. Well, I'm a sucker for any sort of like comment or message. So if you send me any of that on Instagram, I will get it. Also, you can jump on my website, which is just aspengolan.com. You can send me messages there. They go directly to my email. Um, and if you're interested in the Chairmakers Toolbox, check it out. Go to the, go to the you know, website. It's just thechairmakerstoolbox.com. And there's just a bunch of free classes, a um, bunch of like free educational opportunities. You can check out the toolbox itself, which is like this glorious collection of tools made by historically excluded makers for Windsor chair making. And then there's even another project called the Living Tools, which is just this wonderful opportunity to either donate tools if you're at the end of your career or apply to receive tools if you are an emerging maker, especially if you're historically excluded and you are in need of tools, I have them and I want to give them to you. So please, yeah, check it out. That's so awesome. And so many great resources on that website too. Wink, wink. I was like super tickled. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> but no, thank you for making the effort and taking the time to do that. It really, uh, that website really is a great kind of, if you're getting into chair making and aren't really sure where to begin, that's, that's the good place to get started just to learn everything that's out there. So Aspen, thank you so much. We'll see you again in a little bit. We gotta, we gotta have more chats. This, this isn't over. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I think that we've moved past like our, our standard interview format and we just need to have rambles. Can we just like, move right. on? <laughs> but anyway, thank, thank you so much for having me. And like, thank you for, you know, anyone who's listening, thank you for making space for me in your day and in your life. And um, Katie Freeman, thank you for, you know, creating this really wonderful platform. There's so many incredible interviews with makers who I really admire um, and whose practices I find incredibly inspiring. So just thank you for the, the platform thank you for the time and and you know just there are so many so many worthwhile listens on this podcast so please 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 listen to all the other cuties out there thanks so much aspen thank you katie
So that was Aspen. Thank you so much again to Aspen for taking the time to sit down and share with us um, and for having such a, a great deep conversation. Um, it's wonderful to meet people that are willing to kind of go off the beaten path and talk about topics that are very important in woodworking and craft and our culture, but aren't necessarily how-tos, you know, on how to cut a joint. So thank you very much. I will include the link somewhere to follow Aspen and the Chairmakers Toolbox project in the show notes for today's episode. And if you don't know where to find the show notes, check out the podcast app you're listening to this on. And in the podcast description, there should be links there. Or you can find it in the description box down below on YouTube. Or you can head to freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcast and find this week's episode and past episodes and links there too. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Crafting a Revolution. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe and follow. Head over to iTunes, leave a gold five-star review. We sincerely appreciate the support. So thank you again for the continued love and support of the podcast and my work as well. I made the decision to join the team over here um, after uh, doing many uh, live Instagram interviews. Look forward to continuing them, but I'm really excited to continue to share important stories from women and non-binary makers and help create a new culture of craft. So thanks again, and I hope you all have a very safe and happy holiday season. Let's go craft a revolution. Solution for the toxic masculinities Pollution is the constant evolution Of a broken institution So here's our resolution For crush a revolution